0: This is Pill Eater. Today is September 15th, 2022. This podcast is brought to you by uh, youtube.com slash pill as well as pill I'm here with co-host Karchel Payne and we have on today is Nikki of the blog Exile in Happy Valley. Uh, hi, Nikki. Hey. Hey.
1: So, so what started your intellectual journey? Because I know that she, You said that you were were impressed by the Pink Revolution in early 2000s Latin America.
2: Yeah, um, I think it all kind of started with kind of just basic punk rock rebellion. After spending over a decade in a Catholic school, I kind of stumbled over the sex pistols, as well as Rage Against the Machine. And then from there, I kind of got into... Zapatistas, the EZLN stuff going on in Chiapas and then eventually later on in my teenage years Hugo Chavez was pissing a lot of people off and he was pissing off a lot of people that I was glad to see pissed off. so I kind of I kind of started out as kind of a vague immature anarchist and then kind of developed into some kind of third world socialism um, until I kind of became disenchanted that kind of the experiment didn't really seem to work out very well for Venezuela uh, obviously Um, and I kind of just began questioning I mean the goals were always the same they remain the same they've always been the kind of create some kind of an egalitarian society, some kind of uh, fair, free society. Um, but I kind of came to the clu- conclusion that that just can't be done with the state. Um, every single revolution that has ever adopted the state, the Westphalian nation state, as a model has failed. It has really kind of turned into what they saw plus. place. The Soviets kind of became like the czars, the Maoists kind of became like the emperors. No matter how good or bad the intentions were, it always seemed to end up the same way. Uh, And I kind of came to the conclusion that government wasn't working. And around that same time, I I was very active on the message boards on antiwar.com. Um, and Justin Raimondo was still alive. Um, it was a very interesting space. because You had all of these people who were very different politically. You had hardcore communists. You had old right conservatives. You had a smattering of white nationalists here and there. You had libertarians and paleos and just basically every single side of the fringe the one thing that everybody could agree on was that the American empire was the number one problem and that it needed to be stopped. So right around the time when things started to go south in Venezuela and Bolivia was around the time that I made friends with uh, some people that were more left libertarian and discovered things like voluntarism and agorism and basically, the the radical libertarian approach just kind of seems like a better tactic for, for achieving what I was going for. Um, it doesn't force people. Uh, people aren't, and, and people don't change for force. As um, it, tempting as it is, you know, as angry as... I was at so many of the people around me for not seeing what I saw when I saw the world. I realized that you can't force people to change. They have to change voluntarily. Um, so it was around that time that I kind of began to adopt some more libertarian values. Um, but I've always been kind of all over the place. I've always been fascinated. That's kind of how uh, me and you became friends is that both of us were fascinated with the fringes of of the left and the right, um, you know, all over. Just anything that was outside of the the realm of normal.
1: I mean, Um, that's true. You know, uh, I consider myself a political weirdo. Like people like Ralph Nader interests me, but on the other side, I'm also interested by uh mon-
2: monarchists for some reason. Right, right. And I, I I made friends with some people like that, like some monarchists. Monarchy because it makes like no sense to me. Because uh, not only am, am I an anarchist, I'm also an Irish Catholic. So it's like to me monarchy is, is just absolutely I don't get it. Um, but. I, I met some people that were very big on that kind of thing uh, on antiwar.com, and I was surprised at how much we had in common. Um, we both seemed to kind of disdain modernity. I think that is kind of where I formed some common ground with people on the right, is that I despise things like suburbia, um, box stores, commercials, and, um, I generally see the direction that society has gone in since the agricultural revolution as being kind of a state of evolution. That while technology has kind of outpaced us, at the same time, it's allowed us to kind of become lazy. and a society. That was something that I, that a, a lot of people on the right seemed to understand better than a lot of the people I knew on the left. And that used to be like very common. Uh, I, I grew up reading people from like the new left, the uh, you know, people with like Herbert Marcuse, and Illich and, and uh, just a lot of people that were, you know, Wilhelm Reich, people that were very um, resistant Towards modernity, towards mass media, towards bigness, and somewhere along the line, the left just kind of seems to have forgotten that. Um, so, I mean that that it, I found it very interesting how much I could find in common with people that I had kind of grown up despite and it kind of made me rethink everything.
1: I mean, yeah, like, I feel you when you say, you know, you don't really like modernity, like, um, like, you know, there was that uh, article you did called Nintendo something. Yeah. And, uh, like, yeah, I can understand that, like, I don't like modern day times, like, for some reason, like, whenever I see, like, an episode of Lizzie McGuire, I get real nostalgic, like... (laughs)
2: Yeah, I think that that's pretty common with a lot of people that when they were younger, things made more sense. Um, And a lot of people chalk that up as just being part of aging. But to be honest, I think that people do kind of inherently realize that we are going too fast. Um, And that's I think that's why nostalgia is so... It seems to become more and more popular.
1: yeah. Yeah, because because... you know, like I grew up watching shows like Mission Hill and MTV Downtown and uh, Clone High, The Grass and stuff like that. Like, we're talking about late 90s, real early 2000s, like before, you know, like uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan war. Like, if you want a good snapshot of like late 90s, early 2000s America, watch the first season of Lizzie McGuire or watch it, you know, all the episodes of Mission Hill.
2: Yeah, yeah. Was, Mission Hill's interesting because they kind of uh, they kind of captured the hipster movement before it disappeared up their own ass. Um, they they made it look very. Um, they made places like Portland look look legitimately bohemian, um, and then. The, that entire movement just kind of became a parody of itself so it it was kind of an interesting snapshot of kind of a very small civilization at its height uh, before it crashed um and it seems like that happens more and more now it's like it used to be that you know, there was one kind of major cultural civilization and it lasted a few centuries and then it, it, it crashed. It, it, it crashed and burned. Now it almost seems like, with the internet and with social media, it seems like there are, you know, 50,000 little civilizations and they only last for like 15 minutes before they become absolutely unbearable.
1: I mean, yeah, the world has has become more specialized. Like, uh, you know, like we're talking not even 30 years ago, everybody watched the same TV channel. Everybody, Damn. you know, like read the same books and shit like that. Everybody watched the same news. Like before Fox News and MSNBC and before the internet and uh before we got had streaming, everybody kinda like watched the same thing. Like back in the day, if an episode of The Simpsons came on, you know, there wasn't shit else to do, so you just yeah. watched the Simpsons. Yeah.
2: And I mean, in some ways in some ways we've we've seen some good things out of moving away from that. I mean, diversity is definitely a good thing. Um but it seems like the the best period of time for any kind of advance like that is very early on. Um, the internet was very kind of anarchistic back in the 90s, back when it was just bulletin boards. There was no, nobody was regulating it. Nobody was really paying very close attention. Uh, nobody took it particularly seriously. Um, and I, oftentimes that is, that seems to be the best moment uh, for, for those kind of cultural trends. It seems to be when they're new. There's something to be said for uh, <clears throat> what Hakeem Bay calls temperance. There's something to be said for moving on, I guess, and, and, and trying to find the next. Temporary upon this, so rather than just kind of clinging to the corpse of the old world. Um, I would love to go back to for me, it was the mid 90s. You know, I would love to go back to zines and, and uh, college radio and a lot of that stuff.
1: Um, well, for well, because I'm younger than you, for me, it would be like the early 2000s, like yeah, I, I think like Lizzie McGuire and resets yeah. and tamagotchi toys and stuff like that
2: there seems to be like a five-year difference there maybe um well i
1: the, i'm 27 so i'm not sure how old you are
2: i'm 34 um and so I,
1: like, that's like seven years yeah
2: yeah and i have a hard time believing i'm 34 that's very strange to be in your 30s um when you spent a large chunk of your life isolated. Uh I my 20s were kind of a a lost weekend of agoraphobia. But my kind of idealized era would probably be right around right around, I guess maybe right before Kurt Cobain committed suicide. You know, be before before everything became overly commercialized.
1: Um, uh, for me, it would have to be if I would use a cutoff a cutoff date, you know, for me, it would have to be before um, let's see. it would have to be before Dexter's laboratory got can before the. The last season of Dexter's Laboratory, yeah, that sounds about right.
2: What what year was that?
1: I think the last season of Dexter's Laboratory was either '03 or '04, somewhere around that time period.
2: Yeah, yeah, things seemed to to shift pretty violently around the time of the Iraq War. In a lot of ways, nine eleven was kind of a benchmark. That's kind of That late 90s, early 2000s kind of, uh, there's a degree of innocence there that seemed to kind of shatter with the world trade powers. Um, I was in middle school at the time and uh, I don't have a lot of fond memories of middle school, so that's probably why I don't look back to that time with a great deal of positivity. To me, it's the kind of, early mid-90s. You know, it's more of Pete and Pete and, um, what else was there?
1: Oh, all that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing.
1: Um, yeah, man, it's sad what happened to Kale. I mean, Keenan's doing okay, but Kale kind of fell off.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm in, in some ways, though, he's, I, all still has his dignity, at least. <laughs> you know, uh, Kenan's kind of just been absorbed by the blob, the kind of the uh, bland media, mass media culture. He's just kind of become absorbed into it. He's he's one of them. I don't know what Kel's doing. And you also said that
1: you're uh, what's the word? He said something about your politics. He said that you are an ideological grab bag or something like that. And I'm kind of the same way.
2: Yeah, I I, I often refer to myself as being a ideological bag lady. Um, I kind of sort for the trash. I find something I like, I pick it up, and I leave the rest of it behind. And so I have kind of this odd shopping cart of political beliefs and influences
1: yeah just like me too like uh oh, i like ralph nader and pat buchanan and um who else do i like i think perone did some okay things and some shitty things and you know not all monarchs were bad like i think Catherine the great was okay sometimes
2: it's, i mean that's kind of the problem with monarchies they're like any other state they're only as good as the guy who's currently in charge. And once in a while you luck out and you get somebody who's decent, but there's always an asshole waiting in the line. So it's kind of my view that allowing that kind of power to exist is too dangerous. It's like the nuclear bomb. It's hard to uncreate, but I'll be caught trying. because It seems like it's just, it's, it's, it's like leaving a machine gun on a playground, you know. Most of the kids are probably not going to pull the trigger, but you're going to get one motherfucker who's going to pick that thing up and just fire. It's, it's just it's just better if it doesn't exist. Um, not that I support gun control in any way, shape, or form. But...
0: I recall actually, um, back in high school, I would like websites like church of euthanasia like my like chris korda or he would just yeah be creating you know and that reminds me of this kind of pre-youtube 2005 era of just finding interesting things on the internet like this one what asexuality website in russia about sustained so from all sex and now somehow yeah. 10 years later oh now it's incel and that's supposedly bad but it seems like the internet was a golden age of Fringe and interesting culture in the early 2000s, and people took it with sincerity. And now, today, it feels like, with the post influence of Tumblr and all that, it seems like a dime a dozen where you'll have a Twitter account jokingly saying, Oh, this uh, emo fascist started in or something. And it seems to be a novelty rather than sincere forms, like irony is being played so much where we've lost our form of eccentric sincerity. And I think as long as people in the traditional liberal sense, if people were exposed to things like the Church of Euthanasia or like um, the possibility of emo-fascist or asexuality, then people could see the intersectionalities between it all. But today I think people have certainly became more close-minded for one shift towards anti-liberalism or something.
2: Yeah, it's generally, I. when the corporations come in, that's generally when the party's over. Before then, it's, you know, it's a bunch of people just kind of sharing ideas, passing the bong around, and then somebody comes in to try to capitalize it, and that's when everything just kind of becomes insincere, it becomes fabricated, biznified. I guess you could say. It's the same kind of stuff. I mean, it, from a distance, it looks the same, but when you get close to it, it's very plastic. It's very, it's very uh, manufactured. It's not just a bunch of people randomly throwing ideas out and trying to figure shit out. It's not a conversation anymore. I think that's that's kind of the problem, and I mean, there's there's either we have to find whatever the new internet is, you know, or I don't know, maybe we have to destroy it. I'm a little little tempted, I'm a little too tempted to pull the uh, pull the pin on the grenade.
0: It's kind of like if you think about it, there was a time where people had BDS boards, bolt and board systems, and things were just... Um, a mirage of text boarding and something like that. And as the, the GUI got a little better, all of a sudden you started to evolve into forms. But if you just go back to BBS for a second, things were much more radical and it much more based upon electronic cataloging or something. Kind of like in that 90s spirit. But now with the trusty thing where you have Tinder or just avatars and instant internet access and high speed kind of makes people believe that they're constantly in virtual reality and plugged in the matrix all the time and yet at the same time it's now just a given that to be working under american capitalism today you have to be plugged into the internet you have to have a linkedin and yet it was only like 30 40 years ago you were on a bulletin board system and uh it was a fringe kind of weird activity of anywhere from tiny cute adventures um them to whatever you know. The esoteric has now
1: became
2: everywhere. It's it's the cult of bigness. It's when things become huge, they're, they're no longer personal. Um, so I mean, back early on in the internet, everything was very small. Uh, you know, there were all these little niches, these nooks and crannies, these holes in the wall now it's all kind of become streamlined and it's become just one big mass. and in the process we've kind of lost all of the things that made certain corners of the internet special and and we see that geographically in the united states uh during the 80s the punk scene in 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 the, the united states was incredibly diverse yeah every single movement started because black flag Stop by every single city interpreted black flag very differently so you go to washington dc and their version of black flag is is moon threat and then you go down to austin texas and their version of black flag is the dicks which are you know a bunch of gay guys in dresses so it's it's just radically it was radically different every scene was radically different there was something very distinct about every single scene that's because Everybody, you had to travel from city to city. There there were differences between the cities. It it hadn't all become one huge monolith. Um, Technology kind of seems to continually find ways to kind of expand, expand things. It's kind of expansionist
1: yeah like you got a point you know we've been to a point in america where regionalism seems like it's dying you know yeah everybody's trying to sound the same everybody's all the all the major cities look alike yeah everybody everybody either wants to live in la or live in new york or or they want to live in texas it's
0: like it's like the four majors it's new york la chicago or houston And now every city is just a subaltern, you know, Gramsci language of Philadelphia is a copy of New York. San Francisco is a copy of LA. And then if you're, what you're doing in Philly, you should just go live in New York or you're going to die out in the middle of Cincinnati. And there's no way you can use that kind of Regionalism anymore, even if you stay in Cincinnati, it's, it's just you're fighting an uphill battle. I, I really think that has to do with the kind of global capitalist collapse in America. It has a good and a bad. And I think, while it is destroying regionalism and like you were saying uh, about how, you know, traveling to. Illinois was a special experience. Now it's not It feels like middle of nowhere, but I think with that all the wealth is being centralized in these expensive cities and it's just going to happen where it'll just collapse and then yeah. people just can't go to those cities anymore. And I think we might be experiencing post COVID where you have the mommy and daddy trust fund kids from Iowa going to New York city, only then to be disappointed going back
2: possibly. Yeah. I, I don't know. So
1: yeah, I think you know, it, oh, oh, I'll let you finish.
2: I think in an era of collapse, there is a, Great deal of opportunity, and I think that we're coming up to a period of time in which things could get really bad, but we also may have the opportunity to do some really interesting things too. So, um, and it's I mean, it's not going to be sunshine and rainbows. I mean, it's kind of like what happened with the Soviet Union. Uh, Russia got really, really fucked up, but at the same time, there were all of these opportunities to kind of do something completely bizarre and new and different. Um, I think that a lot of his opportunities got missed, unfortunately. But you saw glimpses of it. I remember when I used to read The Exile, you saw glimpses of these subcultures kind of bubbling in post-Soviet Russia. So I think that we may have a brief period of time opportunity and it's going to be very short, but I think that if people kind of prepare themselves to not hold on to the old society and to try to create something new, I think that we could be approaching an opportunity to do some really interesting things in the very near future. There's a lot of stuff that's falling down.
1: That's my hope at least. Yeah, you know, like, like I, like I said, America's becoming boring. Like, we're all the same now. Like, back, just listen to music. Like, back in the day, you could tell the difference between East Coast and West Coast hip-hop, but nowadays, all these guys are trying to sound, do like the same trap beat thing. Like, they're all trying to sound like Chief Keith now, and they all use the same beats, the same flow. Like back in the day, you could tell the difference between Wu Tang and NWA. Nowadays, it's like they all use the same beats over and over again. Or better yet,
0: in uh, cartoons, the Cal Arts movement that everybody is a bean faced character, you know. <laughs> but even though that name has Cal Arts, I don't know if you want to call that regionalism or just regionalism with a globalism on top of it,
2: but. Usually, I mean, globalism kind of starts out by somebody trying to enforce their re- regionalism on everybody else. That's a kind of imperialism. Colonialism in a nutshell.
1: I mean, yeah, that that is kind of true. Like, you know, like, people, like, one of the th- my pet peeves is, like, when people uh, criticize another area because, you know, of their politics or because of different food, it's like, like, when New Yorkers say, oh, well, this isn't real pizza because it's in Mississippi, or oh, this isn't, you know, well, how come you guys who live in, out in the country, how come y'all can't think the same way some kid who's a trust fund and who went to a Beverly Hills school? It's like, what, you want everybody to be the same? It's like, who the fuck cares if somebody went to a Beverly Hills high school? Shit, who, who gives a fuck? And plus, it's like, um, you know you know, I'll just go out here and say it, you know, like, who cares about what kind of pizza you eat? Like, pizza is <laughs> pizza. Like, like, I mean, I can't understand why grown-ass people get mad over just because a pizza in another part of the country isn't like New York pizza. Like, that whole New York versus Chicago pizza thing. It's like, who gives a fuck? Like, it's cheese and bread, peppers. I mean, if you really want to be authentic, if you took an Italian person to a pizzeria in New York, they'd say, that's not real pizza. And yeah. was not. So it's like, what are y'all people even arguing about?
2: and Every everybody's culture is some kind of masterization of some other culture, more or less. Uh, the problem comes when somebody seems to think that their culture is the only one that matters. It's kind of the supremacy, the, this idea that. You know, we have it all figured out, and this is what you do. Um, that there's a formula for everybody. And it's I mean, I kind of came across that firsthand dealing with with uh, the Catholic Church growing up, where it, it was kind of like everybody had the exact same path to enlightenment, which does that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't really acknowledge the individuality that's kind of innate in human beings. The idea that everybody should pray the same way or should eat the same way—it's like telling people people that everybody should fuck the same way. And it's, 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 it's 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 just it's it's I don't know what the word I'm looking for. It's stupid. Um, that's not the word I'm looking for, but that's the that's the easiest one that I can grab. Um.
1: Yeah, you know, like you're right. This society, like it's it's probably going to experience like some serious pressure. soon. like it can't keep going on the way it is, it's been going on. Like people are too atomized, too angry. You know, the jobs aren't as good as they used to be. People are isolated from me, one another. It's like. I mean, you can, human beings can only take so much, man. Like, something's going to give eventually. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's going to happen it's, a year from I now or maybe 20 years from now, but who knows? Like, something... I, something, I think it's happening, happening
2: right now. I, I mean, you see all these kids walk into box stores, with machine guns, and just shooting places up. To me, that, you know, and nobody knows why. Nobody can, you know, they, they can all blame one person or another, but at the end of the day, nobody really knows why crime is out of control. Nobody really knows why people are fentanyl, like fentanyl, for example, people want to blame that on the border, on China, on whatever. Uh, The reality is, is that junkies are looking for something to, to obliterate themselves with. Heroin is not enough anymore. There are people who are literally searching out that specific drug because it kills people. Uh, human beings, I think, in a lot of ways, we've become hypnotized from realizing how severe things are. Subconsciously, I think human beings know. And that's why we have so many people that are so many people that are committing suicide, so many people that are committing crimes. There's, we're seeing just this kind of steep uptick in really antisocial behavior. And I, I think it's, even though people have been kind of, they've been kind of cultured to view technology and the internet and social media and smartphones all these things as being just kind of normal I think subconsciously we know it's not that something's wrong and because we cannot because we we we, people have kind of been coached not to actually think these problems out they just react and when you get an entire populace of reactionary people you know you get you get a you not only get prime waves you know and addiction you also get a a political system in which it's it just seems like it's oligarch on oligarch violence you know it's whether i i whether it's the raid at Mar-a-Lago or the raid at Capitol Hill. You know, it's either either way. The even the wealthy people, the people that are supposed to be in charge, are tearing each other apart. And so, I mean, I think that we're rapidly approaching some kind of collapse. I don't know how bad it gets before it becomes undeniable and that's kind of the thing that makes society right now unique is that people have really really been hypnotized in a way that they never have before and that's the thing that makes it dangerous is that i'm afraid that human beings have been conditioned not to realize that the stove is hot so i'm a, i'm a little bit afraid that people aren't going to realize that things are really fucked up until it's irreversible. That's kind of my biggest fear, is that we are going to just con- continue to destroy ourselves and each other and not kind of put it together that maybe this way of life is not what human beings, what anybody should should be existing in. That maybe we we need to take a step back and kind of rethink things. Um, I always kind of like the way that the Amish view technology, I think they go to extreme with it naturally, but it's a common misconception that, that Amish people just said, okay, we're going to stop advancing in 1850, whatever. The reality is every single Amish community, whenever a new technology comes out, they hold a town meeting. And they, they ask themselves, okay, is this going to be beneficial to our community? Should we take a step forward? They take an inventory. They take a moral inventory and kind of decide whether or not, okay, is this really an advancement? Is this really putting us forward? Or is this a step backwards? And even though a lot of it is kind of poisoned by... Um, Superstition and puritanical religious thinking. I think that that approach is is, is very wise, and I think that approach is why uh, why the Amish have been able to exist relatively untouched while the rest of us continue to kind of destroy ourselves and each other. I think have the upper hand in a way. There, I think people can learn a lot from.
0: We've reached the end of the podcast. I'd like to thank Nikki for being on and Nikki, is there anything else you'd like to share or where you blog or any future projects you
2: may have? Um, Exile and happy Valley is, is my blog. Usually you can get to it just by Googling it. Um, not a real impressive blog, but the writing's good. Um, I'm also on counterpunch on most weekends and I'm usually on attack the system as
1: well, which I'm a contributing editor. Nikki, it's nice.